Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Ramirez, and welcome to the Hit List Podcast, a podcast where me and a guest cross off films from our watch list and discuss them. This is season five, episode four, and today I'm joined by someone I've wanted on this podcast for quite some time now, and I'm very excited that she's here. She's a YouTuber from across the pond. She's hilarious. Ladies and gentlemen, Rebecca Rose. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's very appreciated all the way from across the pond. Yeah, across the pond, guys. <laughs> so before we get started, I have two questions for you. Uh, whenever you sit down and watch a movie, do you choose something new or you stick to your favorites? It's a bit of both, really. It just depends on my mood. If I like don't think I have anything to say, then I'll just go over favorite. But if I like feel like a new movie, then I'll just do a new movie. <laughs> okay. That's, okay. I... I... <laughs> So usually some guests, they have like more complicated answers than that. But I like how you're very straightforward with that. M- very yeah. much appreciated. No thoughts, just existence. <laughs> That's the second time she said that to me, guys. And we've only <laughs> known each other for like 10 minutes now. Mm-hmm. So Rebecca, my second, second question for you is, what's something about you that people would be surprised to know? I don't really know. <laughs> I honestly, once again, no thoughts, just existence. <laughs> um, damn. These are like icebreakers, but ooh. Hmm. I think, well, I could just say I'm like even more annoying than people think in real life. Like I, I know a lot of people when they, they comment, they're like, oh, she's annoying. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's worse <laughs> in real life. Okay. Uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. People are yeah, surprised yeah. To, to think that like as charismatic, and I say this with quotes, and charismatic as I am in person that I have trouble dating and... I'm always like, what, what, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about? Like, Jason, we, we just think because like you're so charismatic, you're so outspoken, you wouldn't have a problem like dating women. I'm, I'm like, you don't understand the struggle I have, madam, <laughs> sir. Yeah, actually, what? that's true. You wouldn't really think that because you're doing really well, like communication right now, way better than I could do on like a Zoom meeting. So thank God you came in. Like, ooh, hi, really good. Me, eh, can't relate. <laughs> I did go to school for communication, so I, I know a thing or two about communicating with people. Oh. Yeah, there we go. He's smart. That's- He's educated. You've got thoughts in the head. <laughs> Can't relate. Didn't go to school. It shows. Okay. Yeah. So today, I want to talk about two... F- Actually, no, it's not two films. We used to do two films on a podcast, but it takes too long to edit. So we're just going to do one film today. <laughs> so the, the pain, film we'll be discussing... Yeah, I understand. I've seen your stories of like you edited and unedited on the timeline. Yeah, I- I've been there. Many yeah. Times. <laughs> <laughs> so the film we'll be discussing today is Whiplash from 2014. Whiplash is a 2014 American independent psychological drama film written and directed by Damien Chazelle and starring Miles Teller, J.K. Simmons, Paul Reiser, and Melissa and Melissa Benoist. The film follows the ambitious music student and jazz drummer Andrew Naiman, who is pushed to his limit by his abusive instructor Terence Fletcher at the fictitious Schaefer Conservatory in New York City. Whew. <laughs> it's been a hot second since I've done like all class reading. <laughs> Damn, that felt like I was in school. <laughs> Why was this movie on your list, Jason? Yeah, so I've known about this movie ever since 2014 when it came out i knew about the scene with jk simmons slapping miles teller and at the time and since then i've never seen a miles teller film 
I guess because the thing is, I just don't like the way he looks. <laughs> like, it, it's a very conceited way of thinking. I know. I, I just like, I, I don't like his face, you know? I don't like Miles' face. But I always knew it was a good movie. And I always wanted to watch it just because of learning how it was a short film first. And then it became a feature film. And you're still freaked out. <laughs> I see uh-huh. that. Um, but because and it's I like guess- a sin. Ooh, ooh. Miles Teller is so fine. Oh, oh. It's all, you know, it depends on your opinion, but my God, Teller is one fine man to me. Ooh. <laughs> okay. I, I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. I, I guess from your perspective, it's like that. But from my perspective, yeah, I just yeah. never cared for the I guy. can't believe it. I just, oh my. Yeah, there we go. Oh my that's goodness. What, that's something, that's something that most people don't know about wow. me. So yeah, that's just something like I I've been a huge fan of J.K. Simmons since I was five because of Spider Man, and since then he's been in several films where he basically always plays a bald man with a mustache. You know, you know, Legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? La La Land. He was a Mega Mind, but he wasn't the bald guy. He was like the the warden. But other than that, like I just never seen him in this type of role where he kind of plays like a villain. So I've always mm-hmm. I've always known about it. I just never got around to watching it. For other reasons until i asked you to be on the show and i asked you like from my list what's something you you want to watch and you chose whiplash so what was whiplash on your list well i'm from like a musical family and my brother and my dad both play drums Ooh. so for them they loved this movie they were like always about it especially my dad i think it was like his favorite movie when it came out and he would not stop about it so i was like <laughs> i kind of have to watch it one day but I don't play drums, so for me, it didn't have that incentive. But I love movies, so it was on my list. And here we are. But also, I feel like everyone in my life, if I mention Whiplash, they've seen the movie and they always have something good to say about it. So I kind of knew I then was like missing out. And I, I was, clearly, because I've seen it now. It's great. But uh, yeah, I'm glad we finally got to it. Yeah, so pretty much why I was on our list and for the podcast, it was just time to just, you know, finally watch it. My question for you is, um, what did you think as you were watching? Well, I think it, it was um, a very emotional movie. I really liked it because it was a character-driven movie, not plot-driven. Mm. And I much prefer ones that are character-driven, just because I feel like you can connect to it a lot more. But... Yeah, no, that was a great movie. I really understand the hype. It's one of those few movies where people are going on and on about it. And I'm like, oh, I see why. Like, it makes sense. Uh, also, Miles Teller, my man that you don't think is that all pretty. It's okay. <laughs> but my man, oh my goodness. One actor. Ooh, oh, I love him. Um, I could watch him again all day. He's a great actor. I love the way he played the drums. I know he didn't actually do all of it. I know he learnt some to an extent, like the, uh, I don't know, those, they're called like rudiments or paradiddles. I don't know. No clue. Also, J.K. Simmons, like you said, I have that emotional attachment to him from Mm Spider-Man. So seeing him be that intense was kind of scary. Very emotional as well, because it it was very abusive. Mm. But um, I'm glad I watched it when I was older. I think I have a lot more perspective on it as an older person. (laughs) But uh, not that old. (laughs) You... She's very old, guys. <laughs> um, I ancient. Ooh. <laughs> I really like this movie. Uh, I was surprised that I did, and I've always seen like I think most of us have seen that scene where 
J.K. Simmons slaps Miles Teller's character like one, two, three. But are you are you rushing or are you dragging? And I always found it funny because out of context, it's a hilarious scene, right? Yeah. If it's just like that one snippet, but once you look at the film and you see how the, from the very first moment they meet, you can see the red flags coming off from Fletcher, who's played by Simmons. You can see immediately like this guy is horrible. Do not come into contact with him. And the way Simmons did such a wonderful job of playing that character. Like, I was mad at him throughout the film. Like, I recognized Mm -hmm. he was playing a character. But throughout the movie, I'm like, dude, just let it go. Like, oh, my God, you're being too much terrible. (laughs) And so I've also seen that one scene where they're having a drink um, in the bar. And Fletcher says, there's no worse thing in the world than um, being told you did a good job. Um, oh my god i literally i wrote that down on my notes because i was like that is such an important part in the movie yeah like i've seen that out of context right and when i saw that it was kind of kind of during the moment when i was like training martial arts almost every single day back when i was like your age i was like doing it every day for like a couple years at most and i really liked it and uh, and i didn't i knew i was gonna be one of the best but i just wanted to catch up on last time because i never got to do it when i was a kid and might as well like start yeah. as a young adult, and I was like, yeah, that's pr- pretty much how I feel too. Like, at, without knowing the movie, without knowing what went on, I was just thinking like, and it's kind of like my own philosophy in life. If someone tells me I did a good job, I'm like, okay, but did I? Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, like, I thought a lot of people like struggle with that. They're like, did I really? You have that own voice in your head. Yeah, it's like I much rather someone be mean and bit full of um useful constructive criticism than to avoid the uncomfortableness yeah. and just be nice to me because because i've been through that my whole life um people be like hey is that good did a good do a good job or like what do you think oh you did good what, what are you talking about yeah what are you talking about <laughs> so in that sense since i was out of context i kind of agreed with him without seeing the movie after seeing the movie i'm like oh this guy is just trying to come up with excuses to justify his own behavior like fuck this guy (laughs) he needs to go he needs to go he's scary so what was your favorite part of the movie all right i would like to also touch on your whole red flag moment you know uh just about fletcher in general because at the beginning i remember i literally like thought of him as i don't know if you've seen mean girls (laughs) but he reminded me of a very intense regina george because he was very manipulative like, I hate the bit in the beginning where, one, he forgets his stupid jacket. And I know he did that on purpose. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, <laughs> forgot my jacket. It's like, you did that on purpose. You were playing with your power here. And also, there's another bit where um, he, oh, when he first, their first ever interaction between Andrew and Fletcher. And Fletcher says to him, like, oh, why did you stop playing? And then, obviously, Andrew then continues to play because that's kind of what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. But then Fletcher kind of makes him sound really stupid for doing that. And he's like, why would you do that? he's like, I didn't ask you that. And technically, Fletcher didn't ask him to play again. But it's just him playing with, like, his power dynamics and manipulation. And it was like, that's also, like, the first red flag there. Is there was such, like, a nicer way to go about that. But he was already being really mean in a really hidden way. Because he didn't really say anything wrong. But kind of an awful person. Definitely. Definitely. I immediately caught that. And it's even worse when you see throughout the movie, he learned his history like how he grew up just so he can bring him down like you see several moments where yeah. he'll bring people up in private 
just to break them down in front of in front of everyone else. So with that, when Andrew goes to the band for the first time and he witnesses um, someone get kicked out of the band and then they take a break and Fletcher tells him that he's here for a reason. Like he feels really confident in himself. Like this is the only thing he likes. He doesn't care for friends. Uh, he doesn't hang out with other people. His only passion is playing the drums. He wants to be one of the greats. Like he even said he'd rather die young and known than to, than to be old and obscure. So this is his whole passion and Fletcher knows this you know but he wants to know his history like oh your mom walked out on you and your dad's not really like, successful and yeah. he just uses that against him it's like bro yeah what the hell is wrong with you but I've it's like also too. when uh what's it when andrew first goes to class you can notice he's the only one that actually gives fletcher eye contact because he doesn't know yet what's to come but the rest of them don't look at him and I was like, damn, that just shows how they all know. And then you see the same thing happen with Connolly when he comes in later. And then he's the only one that kind of looks smug about being there. Right. But then the rest know, like, it's not about that. Like, you're not going to have fun here. Exactly. Exactly. And I also forgot that, like, he said 6 a.m. when really it's at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my yeah, God. Uh, like, he didn't have to do that. <laughs> he, <laughs> I was just. He's uh, just absolutely <laughs> awful. He just wants control. And bro he definitely had it he definitely had the control mm. and so what what else was i gonna say how you brought them down oh um with the temple thing with the slapping i'm pretty sure he was on time like he was on temple he wasn't dragging or rushing because if you remember before that he said one of you is out of oh, tune what, when he goes about the whole yeah yeah oh my goodness that <laughs> moment oh he says one of you is out I of tune wrote about that as well yeah, yeah. oh my gosh and then he calls out... You just this, see how manipulative he is. Right. He calls out one guy specifically. He says, are you out of tune? I, I don't know. Get out. And he just like... <laughs> he yells at him right in his face, right in his ear. Yeah. And he, he kicks him out. And he's like, okay... It but then was- the thing about that I don't understand is like... He then goes on to say like, oh, he wasn't actually out of tune. And it was the other guy, like Erickson. I don't remember his name, but it might have been that. And then I'm like, the only issue with Fletcher's logic there is that he doesn't know that the other guy, let's call him Erickson, because I think that's his name. He doesn't know that that guy didn't know he was out of tune either, because it could have been the same issue, but he still just kicks the other guy out of the band. It just shows he's ruthless. Like, he tries to make it logical in his brain. He doesn't think he's a villain. Definitely. Like, Fletcher just thinks he's doing what's... Because Fletcher's whole goal is just to make, like, another great. And so in his head, he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. And you see that again later, when, like like you said, they're at the bar, and they have that little talk together at the mm-hmm. jazz club or whatever. And he mentions like how he's never going to apologize. And it's just because he believes he's making like the next Charlie Parker, the next bird. But it's like, you're just being an idiot. Like you're just being really mean for no reason. Yeah. And that's, that's something too, because I watched this movie. I don't have a teaching background, right? I've, you know, tutored students before. And I've also, my, (laughs) there's this joke with like immigrant parents from like Central America to United States where you can't ask them to help them with your homework because they'll just yell at you to get it right. Like, what's two times two? Five? What's two <laughs> times two? <laughs> you know, like, they'll just yell the question at you until you get it right. And so I knew yeah. growing up, that's not the way to teach someone. That just makes them afraid of you. So I kind of, like, had that philosophy when I tutored students. And I'm watching this movie. I'm like, I don't see him teaching at all. Yeah. He's just He's young just at them. He's just instilling fear. Yeah, and so all, all the stuff that they do, it, they just do it by themselves. Like, 
you can see Andrew on his own time. He's practicing ruthlessly until his hands are bleeding. All that is on their own oh, time. Oh, I hate that, though. And- I hated those visuals of his bleeding hands. Like, it was so gory. Not gory, but it was just so in your face. Like, you saw the pain he was yeah. going through physically and mentally just to get to the point to, like, not just impress Fletcher, but then to also get his own desire and, like, goal in life to be, like, the greatest drummer. But it was Definitely. just so intense. And I just... Oh, and then when he puts his hand, like, in the ice bucket and it turns red. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. It was just so much. Yeah. And the, th- the thing about that, too, is because Fletcher treats failure as a weakness and not as a teaching moment. That's why they hate themselves. That's why, like, you see how at first, Andrew, he's kind of like this naive kid. You know, he's just happy to be there. And he's, he doesn't understand why uh, Nate, um, I, get, I, get, I think that's the actor's name, but like the other drummer, he doesn't understand why the other drummer is like yelling at him uh, about the sheet music or whatever. Or, well, before yeah. that, he's, he's just being an asshole to him. And then he eventually turns into the asshole when um with Connerly or whatever and you can see like how the environment that Fletcher set up makes everyone because become an asshole that makes everyone on edge support like they're not really learning they're just doing it so that they can meet his expectations it's not really at their own desire anymore so yeah it's just a lot going on here I'm really happy with the way it was presented in this case too but yeah what'd you think of the dinner scene with the family. Oh, what? When uh, Andrew is like with his brothers and like his parents. Yeah. With I his thought cousins, that was a very yeah. interesting scene. Wait, let me get those notes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Do I have the notes for this? I do somewhere. <laughs> Aha. Yes. Basically, I was thinking that like you really see the dynamic here where Andrew's brothers are like the overachievers in the parents' eyes. Like they're doing the best. They're like, oh, the gold stars, the golden children. They're like, oh, they're so good at what they're doing. And then whatever Andrew's doing, he's like kind of put down for it. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like, mm, could be better. <laughs> but you know, like, oh, he's in the arts. It's not really that much of a job. Like, yeah, he's not really going to get anywhere. And then I think that's where it stems from him believing like he's not good enough. Because I think he has that instilled in his head especially through Fletcher throughout the movie, even though that kind of pushes him, but in a very awful way. Like, I don't think he had to be pushed in that specific way by Fletcher to get to where he got. But that's, you know, that's an argumentative point. But um, oh, hold on. I also thought it was interesting because... I'm, oh, really, yeah? I'm really sorry, but R- Rival just it's texted okay. me. No, it was <gasps> not. He, he emailed me. He just emailed me. He said to send a message to you. Oh, he wants me to tell you that you are short. Oh my god. Wait, I, let I me see. Uh, this idiot. Basically. <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> but also, um Oh, I see how it is. He ignored my messages but has the time of day to email and say I'm short. Anyway, um yeah, basically I called him short and I think he took offense because I know him and Welchie have a whole issue about their heights. I've seen them in person. They are the same height. They are... They're both tall. But I'll call them short just to annoy them. <laughs> okay. I, I guess he figured out the time of day I was going to, like, interview you. And he just messaged me. He's like... Well, you no, know, it's because I texted him and I said, oh, I'm going to go on the podcast oh, now. okay. Because I was, like, asking him about it. I was, like, asking him what he thought. He said it was great, though. So, you know, you got good feedback there. Okay. Uh, I lied. Um, that wasn't an email. He told me to tell this to you when he came in last time he said can you relay a message to her so i was gonna do this whole thing where he faxed me something at the beginning of the show 
that I forgot to do it because we had audio issues going on. So yeah, I, ju- I just, yeah, my bad. Yeah, you're welcome, rival. <laughs> he's such a douche and he's <laughs> tiny in person. <laughs> he's like five foot four. Short king. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I hope he listens because that will get him rivaled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're wow. welcome rival yeah. that's what you get yeah. um i guess <laughs> yeah what a guy nah he's just a bully anyone listening he's a bully don't watch his videos no i'm kidding he's lovely and am i we'll see <laughs> okay <laughs> so sorry to interrupt you a bit you're on you're on a roll and i i had to stop it it's okay. Um, I've got these thoughts written down because I know this head is empty. So everything that I need to think of is on paper. Awesome. All right. You were saying about the dinner, the cousins. Oh, I was just saying as well how um, during the dinner, I recognize that Andrew referenced what Fletcher said to him about what was it? He said, oh, I think at dinner, I think the whole thing at dinner was he mentioned how Fletcher referenced the whole Charlie Parker became bird because someone f- threw a symbol at his head, mm-hmm. which I completely disagree with. But then that go- then again, that shows Fletcher's reasoning behind his actions. But I just thought it was interesting that Andrew referenced that at dinner with his family because it just shows like the continuous influence that Fletcher keeps having on Andrew without him even realizing. Yeah, like it's kind of him being brainwashed, and it's sad to see. And you can recognize, like you said, the red flags, and that's one of them. Because that should not be a reasoning like, oh, because what annoyed me was the whole thing about Fletcher saying Charlie Parker became bird because he had a symbol thrown at his head. I was like, that's not why. He, he became bird because he was a great drummer and he like worked hard. It wasn't the symbol. He just worked mm-hmm. hard. Yeah, definitely. And there's two things I got from, well, actually one thing I got from the dinner, but it's something I learned after the movie that from the dinner and from seeing his life um, through like the eyes of the camera. He's a very lonely person, but like that, he kind of chooses that to be his own life. But he also doesn't get the validation from his own family. He has to like go seek it out himself. And so the reason why he stays with Fletcher is because he gives him the validation, but he, he feels like he has to earn it, you know, through the torture and the abuse that he's given. But afterwards, he gets the reward of being quote unquote respected by Fletcher. And so that's one of the signs of that's why people don't know that they're joining a cult because they they don't they don't know that they're insecure Ooh. that they don't know that they Ooh, need outside validation external validation and so they'll seek it somewhere else and once they get it they uh, they latch onto it yeah if it was a cult he would have gotten him you know and it's, it's kind of like a cult of personality more than like yeah. a cult actually yeah. i kind of like how you mentioned cult because actually on a very like low scale, even though it, it, I kind of get your point, it kind of is like a cult in some ways because you do just like throughout the movie see him become more and more brainwashed by Fletcher's way. Because like even there's that point, you know, a bit later in the movie after the car crash and everything, where it takes convincing for Andrew to then tell on the way Fletcher's been teaching to that oh, yeah. lady. I don't know if she worked in government or something, but it took him quite a while for them to like convince him. Like, he wasn't convinced at first, even though he'd been put through hell. Yeah. But even then, the fact that it was in one sitting was amazing, though. So, 
That's true. It's just like that cult of personality he had. And you can see like why he's so attached to him is because he doesn't get any of that love, any of that appreciation from his own family. Like they just see him as like a joke. Like, oh, do you have a job? Oh, okay. And speaking as a filmmaker, I can relate to that. <laughs> but at least my parents love yeah. me. Um, <laughs> they love and support <laughs> <Yay>! me. <laughs> we love that. Yeah. So you can see that. And the thing I found out after the movie is that um, the symbol wasn't thrown at the guy's head. It was thrown at his feet. And it goes to show how much oh. Fletcher would man- manipulate the the story because he said threw it at his head. But like, if he says someone else did the same thing to another artist to make them better, he can validate his own actions. He can justify them. So it just shows how he'll tw- he lies and twists stories just so he can get his way or to just justify his own behavior. Well, yeah, like, the worst part is when he twists the story about the kid that yes. offed himself. Like, that's when you realize how almost evil and lost Fletcher is, like, in his own god complex. Because he thinks he's doing something amazing and great by, like, making the next Charlie Parker. But when you're going to the extent of lying about the way someone has died, and when you know you're sort of responsible for it, I feel like that's when you're kind of lost. And mm-hmm. there's, like, no redemption there. Because he's so far gone to the point that he would manipulate someone's story about when they were at their lowest, and he was the reason for it. And he was like, eh. He pret- and also, he pretended to be so sad about it, but then when you learn he's lying about it, it's like, well, I don't believe you were actually sad about it, because no one in their right mind would do that. Mm-hmm. Throughout the film, you can see how fucked up this guy is, because when Andrew gets in a car crash, his immediate thought is not for his own safety, is to go to the band to perform. Because he feels like he earned that spot after the torture he endured. And then once he's on stage, Fletcher doesn't show any concern. He's like, oh, that's strange. But he continues to let the band play. He has no concern for Andrew's safety or well-being. And then once he sees him like messing up, he just says, you're out of the band. Like, Not because he was ill, not because he was injured, but because he messed up and made him look bad. And that's how fucked up that guy is. Mm, he saw him bloody. He said, okay, that's fine. As long as he can play. Oh, he can't play? He's out. What? Oh. So that scene really angered me. And justifiably, I was rooting for Andrew when he tackled down Fletcher. I was like, yeah, get him. Get him. You might have a concussion, oh God, but at yeah, least take him down. Take him down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say about the car crash, on the same note about um Andrew, is like, he earlier in the movie i think at the very beginning when him and his dad are sat in the cinema he says to him i don't want perspective and then you see that when he gets in the car crash and the only thing he's worried about is getting to the performance and not the Mm. fact that he was just in a car crash it was like a callback to that moment where he told his dad he doesn't want perspective and then you keep seeing that throughout the movie like he keeps just going for that one goal and nothing else even if it like maybe might cost him his life Look at you. That That's a very good callback. Look at you. Awesome. Yeah, I know. Oh, she pays attention. <laughs> I made that one and a half hour movie into like three hours last night. Ooh, oh, it was good though. yeah. So that's something I, I can totally relate to as well. I think I mentioned like my martial arts. I am the type of person like once I latch onto something, I become obsessive over it to the point where it becomes an issue. So right now, well, for the past five years, maybe a little bit more, it's been filmmaking, right? And the fact that I'm still doing that means I really like it. So, mm-hmm. but basically, 
Throughout my college years, I didn't want to focus on anything else except for filmmaking. But I didn't go to film school because I knew the only thing I'd be learning is learning how to make a film, not really anything else. So that was smart in that decision. I did communication. Woo, so there we go. Go you, brain cells. <laughs> it's paying off. Woo. So that's why I didn't really focus on like marketing. I didn't really focus on business. Even though those classes were offered, I just didn't really focus to, focus on them. I just focused like filmmaking and like like writing. And now that I'm out of college and after afterwards, I, I, I know how to make a pretty good film, you know, but not so much how to market myself to employers, right? Not so much <laughs> how to market my own podcast, which I dedicate so much time to. So it, it's just like when you're so dedicated to one thing, it's really, really hard to get the perspective from other people, even when they offer it to you, like even from people who love you who say like, hey, I know you're dedicated to this craft, but you need some perspective. You're like, no, I need to do this. I'm on this path. And then after some time, usually after like life circumstances or you gain more experience, you're like, huh, I guess I should listen to that person, you know, and people who are smart listen sooner. Yeah. So so I understand what Andrew is going through, but I I was never the type of guy that would sleep in the room I I would practice in. Yeah, that was intense. That's next level. Mm -hmm. Like bring your own mattress there. Like. I thought those things. Yeah, I think though by the end you finally see him get a little bit of perspective. Though, like you know when he um goes to call Nicole. Yeah. And he's like trying to get her to come, and I think that's like showing that he's kind of had this character growth, and he finally like recognized that he doesn't have to actually give up everything to be great. Yeah, yeah. It, that let's talk about her real quick because I didn't know that was Supergirl, but she did a wonderful yeah. job as like the girlfriend she, she, was, she was molly and glee oh we love some glee oh, yeah I yeah i didn't watch yeah, glee yeah. I, I watched some clips of it oh my god i, just... I mean it's uh it's amazing <laughs> out of context <laughs> i, I just love the the tweets about lee michelle not not knowing how to read <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're just I love so the best mean. thing about the internet right now uh, i love it and there's like the line because she's in Funny Girl, like the Broadway show. And oh there's yeah, a, there's that there's line, line about like, she can't read. <laughs> and people always laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, that must hurt a little bit when she's up on stage. <laughs> she's fighting for her life out there. Yeah, I mean, she she has like a career. Um, besides, mm-hmm. like unlike other Glee stars, uh, she's still working right now. But yeah, and so is Melissa. Look at her. So is Melissa. So is Melissa. Yeah. Uh, That was eight years ago, though. But still, she did a really good job in this one. And from what I heard from the filmmaker commentary with Damien Chazelle and J.K. Simmons, she was the last person who came in for the audition. And just like the energy she brought in, they knew that she was the one. And the scene that she auditioned for was the one where it was a breakup scene. You know, where she's like saying like, oh, you want to break off from me because you want to be at drums and I'll be distraction. That was the scene that she auditioned for. Damn. Yeah, it's pretty intense. They sent her in the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> and But I do love that scene. It's a Yeah, it's a really good scene because you can see how Andrew does not care about her at this point. He, You can tell he rehearsed that breakup and his eyes are just like blank. Like, yeah, uh, I'm really dedicated to drums. I feel yeah. like you'd be in the way. I'm like, bro, you, you are You can cold. see how far removed he is from his emotions at that point because mm-hmm. everything he says to her is like, it's so logical that you mm. can't argue with it. Like, I completely see his point and what he's saying in that part. But like, he has no thought about how she's feeling. It's more just like, 
he's basically just giving it like a little PowerPoint about why they're breaking up and then <laughs> no emotion. And he's like, yeah, so we're over. And she doesn't really oh. get a say in it. And I get it, you don't really get a say in breakups sometimes. But um, no, I thought that was very interesting because he's very far removed from his emotions. He's already quite far gone. And that was like the first major plot point when he like decides, because that like, that determined the rest of the movie really when he broke up with her because it just showed that he was willing to do whatever it took to Definitely. then keep going. Yeah, and that's something that I, I was really concerned about for him. Like, bro, don't give up your life for this. Like, mm. she's cute. Like, she likes you. Like, <laughs> and you like her. Like, nah, he he wasn't for it. And I want to talk about the, the scene where they, for the first date that they're in, where they go to that pizza place. Because I've seen editing, I've seen videos on how to edit, and it featured this scene before I'd even seen it. But basically, in that scene, they're like on, they're sitting at a table, you know, eating pizza, and it cuts between back and forth to each of them. And depending on how on the conversation, the shot will look look different. So, for example, when they're talking and they're trying to like get more connected, the shots are like more like a headshot. It's like both of them. Ah. It's like like extreme yeah. close up of the head. Maybe once it gets like there's like a lull in the conversation. They're like, oh, uh, I don't like what you just said. It's like a medium, a close up, kind of like with the shoulders, and sometimes even like uh, even wider to show like the arms and whatever. And it just shows how far apart they are on the table. Maybe it come it picks back up and they start getting closer again, and it, go, it shows the extreme close up again. And then it ends with them with a shot of their feet touching each other, and that's when mm. you know. That two people like each other because their feet are touching. <laughs> They're playing footsies on the table. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I also like that scene because in it, like Andrew has that very slight judgment towards Nicole. Yeah. Like he's like questioning what she's gonna do because in his head he's like got it all figured out. So I think he put himself on a pedestal from that moment because he thought, "I know what I'm doing." He has his desire. He has like his goal in life. But then she was kind of lost. She didn't know what she wanted. And he was trying to get that out of her. And because she didn't have it, it did feel like he was almost shaming her just a tad. Like, I could yeah. feel the judgment. And, like, I feel like everyone's been on either side of that where they've had, they thought they were, like, that person, like, Andrew. And then they realized, yeah, that's not all it is. Yeah, I thought that's interesting as well because it was kind of like the cycle. He was doing the whole cycle of, like, what his parents and, like, family were doing to him. Right. But he was putting that on her. Well, that's true. So it's kind of seeing how that keeps looping around yeah look at you making connections i like that i know oh my god left and right Ooh. it's not just empty thoughts in her head guys she's giving herself nah, she's nah. not giving Ooh, herself enough yeah. credit she studied media but that was ages ago <laughs> she watches movies you'd hope i'd have things to say i do this now for a living so yeah gotta live up go. to it yeah live up to yeah. it what else did i notice yeah We've all what well, we've all been on both sides of that. We're like we put ourselves on a pedestal, or or someone else put themselves on a pedestal before us. I can think of a very funny example. I went to a community college. Um, do you have those in England, or are they called something else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got those. So it wasn't university. My 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 mom always gave me and my sister. She didn't give a shit. She's just like, why aren't you guys in a university? I'm like, mother, we are saving you money, <laughs> and we are learning the same exact <laughs> <Mother>. thing, <laughs> and. It wasn't until like after I graduated from University of Maryland, which is I transferred there after finishing community college. And she's like, so what did you learn at University of Maryland? Like, not not much. Like my foundational skills, the I learned at community college for a lot less, <laughs> a lot less money. And it's like that judgmental thing, too, because like I remember in high school 
when all my friends got accepted to like you know Harvard or mm. USC, like all these prestigious schools, and they're like, Jason, what, what'd you get in? Um, I haven't, I, I never applied. I don't have the money to apply. Like, oh, okay. Hey, Becky, where, where'd you apply? Oh, you got into? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like instantly, so people, if you like get into those big top tier unis or colleges, people think you're like, oh, they're the smart people. Right. But it's like everyone has a different path. It doesn't mean you have to go this like route that everyone thinks is the one you need to take. And listen, two things too. There are people who make their school that they go to or that they went to their entire personality, and they're the worst mm-hmm. people you'll ever meet. And two, I've met those people from harvard from yale i've met some very wonderful people i've, I've met some people where i'm like you're a really dumb per- how the hell did you get in <laughs> how did you get in <laughs> i'm like yeah. i'm like you know what if they took you i'm glad they didn't take me <laughs> yeah no it's literally like that thing isn't it it's like if my brother was to be a pilot if they let him be a pilot <laughs> i would be concerned it's like that whole thing <laughs> just, <laughs> i don't know much more intense scale if you're a pilot. You're just roasting your brother right now. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to do that. But uh, if they let him, I'd be very concerned. It's like that naivety of of uh, Andrew that like he thinks he's the shit because he knows what he wants to do. But it's like he's 19. His life has has oh, just yeah, barely damn. started. He's oh, a first year student. A teenager. Oh. So like. He's giving himself like too much ego for stuff that he's barely accomplished in life. So it's like, mm. even though Nicole feels like shamed for not knowing what to do, it's okay because she's just started her life. Yeah. <laughs> it's Honestly, okay. She's relatable. I love our girly Nicole. I sat there watching it. I was like, same. Also, because I used to work in a cinema, so I can relate to her. I was like, really? same. Twinsies. Yeah, I used to, before I did YouTube, I worked in a cinema. I loved it. Well, I look back on it more fondly than it was. Oh, but okay. I like movies, so it was good. But um, also, oh my god, what was I going to say? Something about Andrew uh, thoughts. Hmm. Was it related to what? Oh I was wait, saying? what were we talking about? We were talking about Andrew. Oh yeah, the whole like uh, mentality about being better than others because yeah. you're doing what you think is. Yeah, cause what I was going to say about that was um his ego, which you pointed out is like quite high because he thinks what he's doing is like he knows what he's doing so therefore he's on a pedestal but also it's quite funny because I remember my teacher once told me in like our class he was like if you want to get anywhere in life you kind of need to think you're the best (laughs) and that you need to have an ego and I get that to a degree I do because I think imposter syndrome can get a lot of people down gets me down every now and then I'm like should I be doing this don't know so I get why he's thinking the way he does but without that like self reflection yeah. it can be dangerous cuz he is doesn't have the self reflection at that moment or even he a just self- thinks he is on a pedestal he has like no self awareness either so it's like mm-hmm. bro bro and i understand like i've i suffered from imposter syndrome for a, a lot and to to a degree still some but i know it's just a syndrome so i was like nope you're not I feel real. like it's forever going to haunt creative people, though. I think yeah. no matter how far along you are, everyone's going to think, ah, yeah. I shouldn't be doing this. I know. I know. So, it, yeah, it still exists. But, like, some people say, like, the way... It may, usually means it's a good thing because then you're self-aware enough to know that, like, you know you're not that good, but you also know what you need to do to get to that level, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, like, when I started, like, video editing and I started, like, getting, like, some laughs, I'm like, huh, 
it could be better or like eh, it's not yeah. that great so basically what i did was like in order to make up for like the imposter syndrome i would just practice every day or um just see what other people are doing and seeing what i can mm. do to improve it's really just about like if you have imposter syndrome it's a it can be a good thing because you know your skill level you're self-aware enough to know that you're at your skill level but you also care enough that you want to do better so there we yeah. go yeah um yeah so i want to make some more comments about the movie actually i saw some youtube comments from like different um videos examining the movie examining fletcher there's one that about examining fletcher's like evilness whatever i i don't remember which video i I got it from but there's this youtube comment that said fletcher in himself is an oxymoron expecting perfection in jazz is like expecting gentleness in football and he's talking about american Mm -hmm. football but still it's like yeah that's right because like i that's something that was in the back of my head because like he was expecting perfection but it wasn't like an orchestra you know with like um violins and whatever it was a jazz band and if i i don't i didn't take too much music class when i was in high school i did like some guitar like classical guitar but for what i knew about jazz is that you improvise a lot and you improvise with the band you know yeah that's why people like jazz and no it's like he wanted the absolute perfection from it i'm like huh um i didn't know there were like perfectionists in jazz but okay but okay yeah. And another no, thing that's I... what I was thinking as well because in Damien's other movie La La Land they mm-hmm. in that movie mention how jazz is all about improvisation and there we not go. about like perfection so he shows you that in the other movie there we go and so that's just a complete oxymoron as a character that's Fletcher and another comment I saw uh, someone said when we hear Fletcher play the piano it's the kind of mediocre smooth jazz that he derides as Starbucks music though credit where it's due <laughs> it's actually J.K. Simmons playing but that, oh damn yeah it's actually impressive he's not a piano player either Ooh. he had to learn how to do that oh wow and so it makes Fletcher kind of a hypocrite since he can't live up to the impossible standards he demands from his bands it also puts his obsession with finding the next Charlie Parker in a new light he's likely known for years that he'll never be that musician himself Damn, that probably is where it comes from. They do say isn't like teach what you can't do or whatever. <laughs> Those who can't so do teach. So he might be that. Yeah, that. <laughs> so he's just a bit sour. Yeah. Well, a bit more than sour, but. Well, <laughs> he's a poison. Yeah, he is very intense. I literally said that he made me uncomfortable, and I think that is a good thing to take away. Mm-hmm. Actually, another well, another YouTube comment that I didn't really put in here, but they mentioned how all his bands are mostly men because it's harder for men to recognize abuse and hard, even harder for them to oh, damn. acknowledge it when it happens and report it. So that's why they're the per- perfect victim for him to abuse. Damn. I didn't think of it like that. Yeah. I, I was looking at the band when I saw that again, I was like, there's almost men. I think the only woman I saw was in like the last band for like the last sequence which uh oh there is a, a woman in the is it in hidden no actually that's when he's choosing i think yeah that's when he's choosing when they're in yeah never mind yeah yeah but in the last band the one in the last 10 minutes of the film i think i saw like one or two women in there um but i think this is a perfect time to talk about that sequence what the last 10 minutes yeah like the performance so yeah, yeah. this situation for those of you who have not seen the movie or are still listening to this uh we're, we're still gonna spoil the movie for you uh you should know by now that um <laughs> we, we spoil all the movies we discuss on this podcast because that's what we do. Anyway, in the last 10 minutes, um, 
I was listening to the commentary and J.K. Simmons says that this sequence, this event is a win-win for Fletcher. It's a win in that he can he will either humiliate Andrew and get his revenge or Andrew actually overcomes it and does a, a great job and he gets the credit for that, you know. So I whatever happens to Andrew, Fletcher won. And so that's the thing that I, I was like really disappointed, but like in a good way, is that in this movie, mm. the villain won. Why do I say that? Because in the film, Fletcher goes up to, I, I want to say the, the actor's names, but I'm trying my best not to do that. But Fletcher goes up to Andrew. He says, I know it was you. I know it was you who fucking reported me. You think I'm fucking stupid? And oh. gives him the wrong sheet music, which by the way, someone pointed out that sheet music is the same sheet music that the other drummer lost. So it's speculated oh, that yes, the lost folder yeah. thing. Because I was gonna say yes, because you wonder like who took it, but then it's obviously Fletcher. Yeah, because he just put that in his way so that he could get rid of the other drummer and then get Andrew in, mm-hmm. and then more manipulation, many layers here. Yeah, because it, it's not it's not Andrew's because he threw everything away. He kept his drum kit, but he threw everything else away. So it be like mm. I had the same markings as the other drummers. So it's like oh, he probably didn't catch that, but that's the other drummer's notes. And they're playing, uh, they're not playing the song. They're not playing Whiplash. They're playing something completely different. He tries to improvise and do whatever, but it just makes him look terrible. And he walks off stage. His dad is there to console him. But at the last moment, he's like, no, let me have this one thing to myself. He goes back and does a reversal. He humiliates um, Fletcher. He takes control away from him. At first, um, Fletcher's like surprised. like, oh, he's back? Oh, okay. Let's slow things down a bit. And he just starts playing. Uh, Andrew just starts playing out of nowhere and it, the bass player is the hero here <laughs> because he's like man what are you doing he's like I'll cue you in caravan oh I love that bit I uh, love what he says that also I love that bit when he's like F you to uh, um, Fletcher I just thought oh that was so therapeutic to see him like he mouths it to him when he's on like stage playing the drums oh, yeah, I yeah, loved yeah. that part it, it was like power amazing. move and I loved it and if you wear it with headphones you can see like they paid a lot of attention to like the audio thing i, I was listening to the movie with this on i was Damn, like see i wasn't i need to do a rewatch oh, with headphones you do rewatch get these you know get one of these why Ooh, oh my god it's a shame you don't have like a sponsor you could be like yeah sponsored by these and then you could like say it uh, an audio technica headphone yeah Ooh, yeah oh. so Ooh, yeah. Ooh, putting them out Aud- there audio yeah technica <laughs> so, not yeah, sponsored to the- it could be though sponsor me man sadly <laughs> you're welcome I mean, that'd been great that'd been a really great plug yeah that's what i'm trying to do like i'm trying to like uh, like give like free like commercial to like sponsors on, yeah to, like brands alike be like hey nintendo give me free stuff hey, buy, buy this new nintendo game <laughs> nintendo give me free stuff yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the dream yeah and so i was just saying he takes back control and the band is playing amazing he's doing a great job and it looks like Fletcher is out of control, and he is. But the moment where he gets back control is when, during like the snare drum bit, Fletcher is telling Andrew what to do, like slow down, mm. pick it up, pick it up. And he takes off his jacket. He's gained back control of the band. He's gained control of the creation that he has. So that bit end, kind of annoyed me, though. Yes, because. <laughs> In my head, I was thinking he's just kind of now taking credit yes. for Andrew's moment. He's trying to make it look like this was what he planned all along. And it takes back the ownership that Andrew had because that was Andrew's moment. 
But then when he does that, I'm like, damn, now it's like all the credit's going to go to Fletcher and all that bad behavior of his is just getting rewarded. So it's a very bittersweet ending. It's very yeah. painful. But like, I'm also sort of happy for Andrew, but it's hard to be because I'm like, well, this movie kind of ends it with him still being stuck with Fletcher. I think the ending is much more sinister than bittersweet because at, at first it looks like mm. Andrew won, but he didn't win. Fletcher got control over him again. He let him lead him into doing like the mm. final bit and they smile at each other and depending on how you look at it the smiles could be two complete different things the smile from andrew could look like yeah fuck you like i did it i did this without your help the smile from fletcher can be like oh i got control over you uh, i did i made you into this i got control over you but the fact like it was andrew who did all the practicing you mm-hmm. know he, so yeah and there's like predictions it just also that- it's like I think I should say it's annoying because Fletcher is just rewarded again Yes. for the behavior he's done. And it's just so frustrating mm. because I don't want him to get away with it. And it's annoying because he finally gets his goal that he wanted the entire movie. They both get their goals, kind of. Although mm-hmm. Andrew's was more like to become the greatest drummer. And he's not really there yet. He's done a good performance. But I don't think he's a great yet. Whereas Fletcher really comes out of the movie getting everything he wanted because in his eyes, he's now created the next Charlie Parker. And that just yeah. frustrates me because I don't think he should be rewarded, but it's also a great ending. I'm very conflicted. Yeah. And I think that's like a valid response too. Like it's an excellent ending, pick. It just feels like feeling like, oh, fuck. You know, like when I, when I finished, when the credits started rolling, I'm like, wait, what? What? Mm. No, no. <laughs> and there's no after yeah. credits in either. This isn't Marvel. But I also love that they didn't show um, his actual smile, Fletcher's. You just see his eyes. Yeah, yeah. So there's also that debate online, like, did he even smile? Because people said, you don't see him actually smile. It may not have been a smile. It's insinuated that it's a smile. But we don't actually know. We will never know. I mean, when someone is wearing, like, a face mask and they smile, you can kind of tell it's a smile from the eyes. That's true. Yeah. So if if they're saying that... um, it's probably pre-2020 for them. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, my God. True. <laughs> Throwback to the good days. <laughs> so there are some predictions to, like, what happens after the movie. What do you think happens after the movie? Like, in the events of the film? I was thinking about that today. I was kind of thinking I would love to know a follow-up, but I don't want a second movie. I just want, like, a five-minute day in the life of Andrew. I yeah. don't know where he's at. I'm concerned about him. Um... I don't think it's healthy to be stuck in a workplace with Fletcher because Fletcher's happy with him in that moment where he thinks he's like made a great, but I think that's only going to last for five seconds. Once they get back in that rehearsal room, as soon as he slips up or if anything isn't how Fletcher wants it, he's going to think that he's not there yet and he's going to keep pushing him until he literally dies. I have no idea where they are. I think Fletcher's still the same old, same old abusive person. And I think... I think Fletch, not Fletcher, I think Andrew has more perspective, but it's also he kind of fell back into that abusive relationship or whatever with Fletcher. So yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think he dies. A young a young <gasps> man after this because... Oh, damn. Uh, you see the patterns that are happening with, with him are similar to what happened to the young man who died. Um... They're just both very anxious, and he even said in the movie he'd rather die young and as a great drummer than an old and obscure. And you can see throughout the film he'll do anything to get to that point. 
he tortures himself like practicing he went through like that abusive thing where like they were swapping drummers saying who can actually get it right to the point where like he is bleeding and fletcher is like throwing things around him in a very violent way he still keeps playing he stays up late he barely takes care of himself he got in a car accident and instead of taking care of himself he went to the concert to go play so like there's all these destructive manner self-destructive things that he's doing to himself just to become one of the greats and he may become one of the greats but it'll be at the cost of his own life and you can see in the end his own father is afraid like you see like that face of fear because he's like what is his son becoming he's sacrificing everything else he's sacrificing just his own self to become the greatest and i i believe that after the movie he will die young and I also need to point out yeah. that Charlie pa- Charlie Parker died at 35 from a heroin heroin overdose. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking like he's trying to like mirror Charlie Parker, trying to parallel him, and that yeah, that's also, that's to gonna build happen. On what you said, I was gonna say um yeah also I was gonna say Charlie Parker and him have very similar parallels, like how Charlie has a symbol thrown at him. I was about to say Miles Andrew has the chair thrown at him. And then what else was there? There was... Oh, about how then also Fletcher then said to him, the symbol being thrown at him caused him to perform like his best so that no one would laugh at him ever again. And then you mm-hmm. see the same with Andrew when Fletcher like tells him, you haven't earned this, you aren't good enough. He even says it to him, isn't it? Like the last 10 minutes, he's like, you're not good enough or whatever. And then he does like the best solo he's ever played in his life. So I see as well, that's a very dark path you've chosen, but I see. I think that actually could be it, sadly. And also the part with the dad where you get that, that last shot of the dad looking through like the doorway at his son playing that solo. Because in the beginning of the movie, he said to him, I don't understand you. And I think that's very symbolic of like many parents and their kids. They don't really understand their kids' goals. But I think that final shot of the dad, and you see that like his face kind of drops. I think that's him finally understanding his son, mm. but it doesn't mean he's happy with it. And it was like another callback to that moment because I think he finally understood what Andrew was doing. And he gets how hard he's willing to push himself but i think then there's also the concern about where this will lead yeah that's a good point too i like that yeah parents they just don't understand man <laughs> i'm always like afraid that that'll be the same when i'm older oh who man knows? i'm like will i become that like you, you know and then not understand you know who said that though like parents they just don't understand mm-hmm. will smith said that when he was younger oh back in the 90s oh damn and then he became a father Ooh. And, you know, they have their own drama. I'm not going to go into it. Yeah. <laughs> that could be a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> could be. Could be. Will Smith, oh, you want to come, come over oh on the my. show and talk about Will Smith? <laughs> oh, my God. He can talk about his whole, like, cinematic history. Yeah. Yeah. Will Smith, come on the show. Talk about yeah. Will Smith. So now it's the time we're going to talk about the production side of this film. So those of you who are familiar with Whiplash know that Whiplash is adapted from the 2013 short film, also directed by Damien. Uh, it's a it was a proof of concept fo- um, short film that was filmed in I don't know where, but it was showcased at Sundance. It starred uh, Young Neil from Scott Pilgrim versus the World. He played the role as Andrew, and J.K. Simmons plays the same role as well. And so the scene that that plays in this in this short film is the same scene where uh, J.K. Simmons' character slaps um, Miles Teller. It's that scene. Basically, it's um, Andrew's first day. He's waiting patiently, 
And so the band comes in. Pretty much everything that you see in the movie about the first day at the band is exactly like the short film. It's like 17 minutes. And it ends with um, after the slapping and Andrew yelling, I am upset. And that's how it ends. Like, okay, let's go get started. And it ends right there. So while attending Princeton High School, uh, writer-director Damien Chazelle was in a quote-unquote very competitive jazz band and drew on the dread he felt in those years. And so he based the conductor of Terrence Fletcher on his former band instructor who died in 2003. So he pushed it further. So it wasn't like the exact same abuse. Um, I'd hope not. (laughs) But he pushed it further and he added more elements from other band leaders who who are known for their harsh treatment towards their bands. Giselle said he wrote the film initially in frustration while trying to get his musical La La Land uh, off the ground. And look at that. It worked out great for him. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that movie. So, so does Movies in Depth. Oh my god, hi, Movies in Depth. He might be listening. I don't know. Love that guy. Yeah. Unlike Rival. <laughs> All right. Movies in Depth, if you want to be on the podcast, just let me know. So, I literally told him. I think I was texting him yesterday. I said, you need to go on it. So awesome, you should get awesome. him on. Just saying. All right. I'll let him know. I'll, I'll email him because I'm professional. I don't Woo. DM. I'll email first and then DM. Can't relate. <laughs> well, that's, that's just like the young, the old in me, you know, like the wise. Mm-hmm. Maybe when I reach that point, I'll start emailing. Uh, maybe it's the 90s in me. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You haven't got that so, many 90s in you, let's be honest. You're not that yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, hmm. so, yeah. <laughs> so, right away films and Bloomhouse Productions, they helped Chazelle turn 15 pages of the original screenplay into the short film of Whiplash that came out in 2013. And it got acclaimed after debuting at the 2013 Sundance Film Festival. And it attracted investors to produce the complete version of the script. And it, the full feature-length film was financed for $3.3 million by Bold Films. And it won the short film jury prize. So that's the proof of concept short Yay! film. So yeah, there we go. He did a very good job. I- I'm a little jealous because he did the- he did all that when he was 26. And I'm also 26. I'm like, damn. Oh, oh God. damn. You're like, ah, time's yeah. running out. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to get bitter instead of getting better. <laughs> <laughs> So early on, he wanted Miles Teller. He had Miles Teller as the lead role in mind when he wrote the screenplay, but he didn't have an idea as to memorable face. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But he didn't have anyone in mind for the conductor, and it wasn't until Jason Reitman, another um, director, he recommended J.K. Simmons that he couldn't see anyone anyone else but J.K. Simmons as the conductor. And once J.K. Simmons got on, he was really excited. But then he was like, I went from like thinking like J.K. Simmons is going to be awesome to, oh no, everyone else is going to suck. Because <laughs> look, look no. J.K. Simmons. <laughs> J.K. Simmons. He's an icon. He's a legend. He is the moment. And early on, Chazelle gave J.K. Simmons the direction that, quote, I want you to take it past what you think the normal limit would be. Telling him, quote, I don't want to see a human being on screen anymore. I want to see a monster, a gargoyle, an animal. And... I yeah. mean, that's what he got. Yes, that's what he got. <laughs> Something you can't say about Simmons is that, is that he can't deliver because he can. He will deliver. Mm. He's an icon for a reason. Yeah. And in between takes, um, Simmons was like a very sweet person because he didn't want it to be like a nightmarish like set, you know? They only had 17 days to shoot this film. Yeah, 17 bro, and 19 if he days. like method acted that. That'd be awful. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that, no, I hate method actors as it is because of the reputation it gave. They're douches. Um, 
Yeah. So it's I'm like glad he didn't thing do Robert that. Patterson said he said people only method act the role where they're playing like a douche or a jerk. They never method act yeah, a nice person. Yeah. yeah no. It's very telling, I think. Yeah, it's it's like an excuse they can say to like be an asshole. That's how I see it. But yeah, so principal photography for the feature length film began in September 2013, with filming taking place throughout Los Angeles, including the Hotel Barclay, Palace Theater, and the Orpheum Theater, with a few exterior shots filmed in New York City to create the setting. Which I need, I want to point this out as well, is that when the exterior shots for New York City in the first few minutes of the film, they shot it to make it look like New York in the 70s. So like the greenish, bluish type of color. To make it look like it's more criminalish, the towers towering, buildings towering over you, just to feel like make that claustrophobic feel, similar to like oh, how they made it in the se- movies set in, in New York in the seventies. I think they did a pretty good job with that. In the film, like I said, it was it was filmed in seventeen nineteen days for this feature length film. That is not a lot of time, and it had a schedule yeah. schedule of fourteen hours of filming every single day. And Chazelle, the director, was involved in a serious car accident the third week of filming. And he was hospitalized with a possible concussion, but he returned to set the next day so that they could finish the film on time. <gasps> oh my god! Yeah, that's he like di- him replicating his life that's, in the cinema, like that, art replicating life. That, it shows how his perspective was lost too, because he—I mean, I guess he had to return because of budgets and stuff. But like, he was the same as Andrew. He lost perspective. He was like, "Eh, had a car crash, <laughs> but mm, I'll be fine. I'll go back to work." Yeah, and this film was also shot digitally. It wasn't shot on film. It was filmed with the Alexa camera. And the reason they did that is because they can like change the color palette within the camera, or whatever. It's easier to change color palette. Some for some reason they said that. And you know, you know these film directors, they're very pretentious. They they want to shoot on film, they don't want to shoot on digital. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't relate, you know, I'm too poor to shoot on film. Um <laughs> At least right now. Oh, that's a whole mood. So. Hopefully, not forever. Woo. Hopefully, hopefully. You can become pretentious too one day. Oh my God, that's your goal. All become pretentious. <laughs> At so least, exciting. Right, right now, I'm pretentious about my film choices. Mm. Yeah. Are so you? I'm getting Are there. Are you really? I, I about like my favorite films. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Is so, Whiplash one of them now? Uh, not really. Nah. <laughs> it's a good- Wait, can you tell me what's one of your favorites? Uh, Okay, so... Uh, let me just finish my thought, and then I'll tell you right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was shot digitally, and at the time, he said, oh, the digital cameras are getting better now. I'm like, it's been eight years. It's, it's a lot better now, okay? It's a lot better now. <laughs> I'm not sure they shot La La Land on film. I think they might have, but I can't be for too sure. No idea. Yeah. I've seen it like seven times, but no idea. But yeah, that's kind of what he had to say with the camera. But yeah, okay, as far as my favorite films, uh, this is on Letterboxd, by the way. My favorite films, four favorite. <gasps> Wait, do you- I have, yeah, I have Letterboxd. Do you? But do we follow each other? Like, do you follow me and I just don't realize again? Uh, I follow you. You do? Yeah. So oh, it, I'll it's follow not, you back. It's not, it's not Zoom Zappers on that one. It's J Ramirez Pigot. Okay. Yeah, I'll send you the link on Instagram. Yeah, you've been like just, what's uh, like a snake? Not a snake. That's mean. <laughs> not a snake. But you've been like one of those things that can hide. A chameleon. I don't know. But I just, you know, I never knew... You were around, and bam, and then I we were talking about doing the podcast, and I was like, oh, it's you. <laughs> I was the fly in the wall. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so, four favorites, as of on Letterboxd right now, is Rush Hour, The Prince of Egypt, mm-hmm. Inception, and Confessions of a Shopaholic. And you said you're pretentious. 
I'm very pretentious. <laughs> and you have Confessions of a Shopaholic. Is that what? Wait, who's in that? That's Isla Fisher. I thought I recognized her. Okay. Well, I've not seen any of those. Yeah. Also, Jaws, too. A bit like, you can't put like more than four. I might switch out. Still haven't seen that either, sadly. Jaws, listen. That should be your next reaction. It still holds up. It's been like. I'll put it on the list. It's been been 50 years. It still holds up, especially after the pandemic. Well, we're still in it. I I don't believe the lies from the man. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't believe it ever ends. I think we're stuck in this forever now. Yeah. This is this is our life now. <laughs> this is the only thing that will last forever. All right. That's so, very depressing, but you know. Yeah. One other thing I found was pretty that I realized I didn't realize I didn't know this before. I watched the movie, but I realized it immediately after I saw this shot when they're whip doing a whip pan between Fletcher and Andrew playing the drums. It's like the camera goes mm-hmm. he's here and then it whips to this and then whips to that. So I was like, wait a minute, I've seen this before on La La Land. And then I looked it up. Oh, yeah. same director. Yeah, I saw that. I thought same that director. Well. So I was like, okay, I that's really cool. I saw and I, in I've the behind the... the scenes of La La Land, he showed like yes. how he tapped the guys, like the cameraman's shoulder to like get him to whip really quick. I love that. Yeah, so I don't think there's footage of him doing the exact same thing for Whiplash, but mm-hmm. he did the exact same thing for Whiplash. I was like, oh, yeah. so there we go. Yeah, I was like, yeah. yep. It's like his little trademark. There we go, yeah. Also, uh, with like the drumming, with Miles Teller has a drumming background bit with rock, you know, rock and roll drumming, not with jazz. And so for three weeks before they started shooting, he got a teacher and Damien teaching him how to play the drums like the jazz style. And mm-hmm. at first he was concerned because it was so much more different <laughs> than what he was used to. He felt like a beginner all over again. But after like a week or so, he felt more confident in it and he was able to do some of the scenes that they want him to do. So, yeah, the practice, guys. That's good. I didn't know that he had a background. Yeah. So in drumming, I thought he just came out of it like fresh with no background. But that's good to hear that knowledge from before. Yeah. He had, he's, he had like a rock band, or at least he, he's been playing since he was 15, uh, but only for like rock music. And you know, like, they hold sticks like this, they don't hold it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I hate the way that the drumsticks would cut into his uh, palms. Ooh. It looked so painful. I did not like that. And when he kept putting like, the extra plasters on or like band-aids, I think you guys call it. Yeah. And um, I was like, damn, he is going through them. That is painful. I would stop. See, that's where I would like call it quits. <laughs> as soon as I see it cut, it's a no for me. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, when I started like weightlifting, I got like blisters, you know, like on like the... Oh my god, literally same right now at the moment. Like, I'm getting, like, calluses. Yeah. Oh, also, when I, when I played guitar back in high school, I got, like, blisters on my fingertips. Oh, on the fingertips? Yeah. Yeah. Where, like, I tried to hold on the string. Yeah. I was like, this isn't normal. But if I got used to it, it's, it just hardened <laughs> the skin. I was like, oh, okay, I can yeah. do that. So. Like, you just have to get through it first, and then it becomes okay. Yeah. You just have to like it, doing it. Um, go through the pain. But don't bleed yourself. Ooh. Don't almost kill yourself for it. Yeah, no, it's not worth it, guys. You have a life, okay? Like no. literally, you have a thing life. Is, though, that's the um, that's the hard thing about the movie because you can say that all you want to someone, but if someone wants to be great, like Andrew, he yeah. kind of is on that path from sacrificing so much. So I get why people can get stuck in that mindset. It's just mm-hmm. very toxic, but it's also he gets the results he wanted still, even though they had such a hard path the way he yeah. went. For sure, for sure. So as far as the reception for this movie, 
uh, Peter de Bruges in his review for Variety said that the film, quote, demolishes the cliches of the musical prodigy genre, investing in the traditionally polite stages and rehearsal studios of a top-notch conservatory with all the psychological intensity of a battlefield or sports arena, unquote. And that's what it felt like. It felt like a Rocky movie, you know? You've seen Rocky, right? Yeah, I've seen Rocky. There, there, okay. there we go. <laughs> so it very much felt like uh, a sports movie, you know, where like everything's at stake, man. Didn't feel like a traditional music uh, film. So I like that. Yeah. I mean, it also kind route. of reminds me of a horror a little bit, like a mm. psychological kind of one, which I thought was funny as well, because I didn't realize that Blumhouse or Blumhouse, however you say it, they had something to do with making it. I don't know if it was like producing or something, but they were a part of it. And I thought that was so interesting because normally you think of them as doing like traditional thrillers, horrors, all that stuff. But then I was like, this kind of is a horror in the way in which he goes about getting Andrew to where Andrew gets yeah and it received mostly like critical acclaim there was like this one um critic from the new yorker richard brody he said whiplash honors neither jazz nor cinema unfortunately i don't have a subscription to the new yorker so i wasn't able to see his whole critique for it (laughs) i saw this other um youtube video i think it was with gq i don't know who else it's like when those professional people break down scenes from movies to see how realistic it is yeah, so the, I love those things. So this jazz drum, not this jazz drum, but like this drummer, um, his name is Thomas Pridgen. He bre- he breaks it down a little bit. He broke down the the slapping scene basically, and he said he immediately laughs at this because Fletcher does not give Andrew the time to develop a tempo. Usually, they're mm. usually supposed to play a little bit more than just like a half second to get the tempo. So he just always laughs like you're not giving him the time to develop a tempo. Yeah, <laughs> so. Is basically just like hazing him, you know? And also, like, Fletcher was counting in seven, not in four. He didn't make it clear to Andrew that he was going to be counting in seven because usually drummers count in four. And then when he slaps yeah. Andrew, he tells him to count in four. So, like, it's not sure. Like, are you, right. you want to count in seven so or count in four? And if, it just gets worse. And in fact, like, tempo and time signature are not the same thing. So, like, he says, what's the time signature? But, like, you said a tempo. So, like, what, what's the, what are you trying to do right here? There's yeah. two completely different things that you're trying out of music. There's completely different aspects of music that you're trying to get of him. And so, Thomas Bridgen, he said he was confused as to why Fletcher is so worried about the tempo. You know, like, just don't worry too much about it. Like, they're just practicing or whatever. He said something along those lines. I'm like, yeah, it's oh, great to hear. Isn't that that famous quote, like, not quite my tempo? Yep, is not that quite the my tempo. Quote from yep. the movie? Yeah. Not quite my tempo. Oh. I, I lost count. I was going to count how many times he said it, but I only got to like five or six, and I don't know if he said it more or yeah. less, but I lost count. I tried, and then I just forgot. It, it just happens, you know? He, he just said it. Mm-hmm. It's just like the intensity just came up. It was like a fuse going off on a bomb, you know? It's like, ooh. Yeah, careful. that's one way to put it. I'd agree. That concludes our conversation today. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for being here. I really appreciate you coming on to the show being patient with us during technical technical issues. Yeah. Hell yeah. So I have a question for you. Was Whiplash a hit or a miss with you? Oh, it was definitely a hit. I would 100% rewatch it again. It's, it could be, it's bad to say, it could be a comfort movie. I could see myself <laughs> watching, mm, nah, debatable actually. It stressed me out a lot. That would be the reason for me getting early wrinkles. But I would definitely rewatch it. I might even do that soon. I kind of want to watch it just like for myself, not taking notes mm-hmm. and just really appreciate it for what it is i think from an acting standpoint that's where it could be my comfort movie because it's mm. so well acted so definitely 100 percent a hit you yeah 
So for me, it was a one, two, three, four hit for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked it. Oh, I liked it. I kind of wish I'd seen it. No, actually, I think it's a perfect time for me to watch it now. I've gained some perspective in life. Mm. Uh, as far I think I agree with that. Yeah, as far as like teaching and learning, I'm glad this is a, a good time to watch it for me, at least. So where can we find you on social media, Rebecca? Well... We can go for Instagram. You can find me at Rebecca Rose with an X over the thirsty. Same now for my YouTube handle because YouTube handles are apparently a thing. So that will also be at Rebecca Rose with an X over the thirsty. However, you could just search for my channel, Rebecca Rose. Awesome. She's very funny, guys. I really like her videos. Oh, thank she, you. She reacted. Make, I think the Megamind one was the first one I saw. I saw it like last year. That's what introduced Damn. me to you. Oh, I had a whole thing about that one. Ooh, ooh, drama. Drama. Oh, it's because Dylan of the is in trouble. No, I don't know if you know who Dylan is in trouble is, but in that um, video, I mentioned him and I said Megamind reminded me of him, but then his fans took it as I was saying he looked like him, and then they went onto his Reddit or something like that and just were posting like, "Oh, this YouTuber Rebecca Rose said you have like a big forehead." And I was like, <laughs> "No," because. <laughs> I love that manzi that manzi is the reason why like i started this channel and i also it gives me like just flashbacks thinking that he could have seen that video i really hope he has not seen that video because i will die in a shell because i do not like that video it's not me that was two years ago Jeez, oh wow. not real could have been a year ago i don't know it's all a blur but yeah that's it for today folks you've been listening to the hit list podcast this was season five episode four my name is jason and until next time cross off a new film from your list finger guns uh, at least no these are accusing fingers yeah <laughs> all right bye <laughs> Yay!